Well, grace and peace to you. Lovely to be with you. And this morning we've got the one and only Heidi Seal. So Heidi, thank you. We appreciate it. We're all yours. Why don't you put your hands together for Heidi? She does a wonderful <laughs> job at all things. If we had a band, we'd have an intro song. But oh, the days of intro songs. That's, that brings back a memory, doesn't it? I forgot about them. Yeah, that was also that I used to play the keys in the band, and the keyboard didn't really focus so much on wasn't a feature in the intro songs, but I remember that was like something that always had to be practiced. Alongside the worship practice, the intro song for the preacher. So there you go. There you go. Well, um, welcome. Welcome to Christ is King Sunday. Um, I had something very grand and intelligent in the works for this week, and then it was a week. Has anyone else had a week? <laughs> we all have those weeks time for time. Not, nothing terrible or bad, just a lot in different areas. So we are going simple today, but um, I feel like sometimes simple is better anyway. So today is Christ is King Sunday. Um, what does that mean? Christ is King was initiated by Pope Pius as a response to the spread of secularism in the modern world and to remind us, um, to remind the world, and to remind the world of Jesus Christ's rule. And I feel like the trajectory, trajectory of secularism has certainly continued, if not accelerated since then. So it's so great to have an opportunity on our calendar to sit and kind of look at these two, um, these two kings and kingdoms and just, just have some reflections. So I found in reflecting on like, the meaning and, and what that might mean to me, Christ is King Sunday, really helpful by taking a step back to the story of Israel. So let's go back to the story of Israel and their relationship with kings. So the Israelites had been free from the reign of an earthly king for quite some time. Um, having been brought out of slavery in Egypt, Israel had made this covenant with Jehovah that he would be their God and they would be his people. So their king was a heavenly king, Jehovah, God, who had brought them through the Red Sea onto dry ground, brought them through those times in the desert to the promised land and set them up as a nation and with that covenant relationship with their king being Jehovah, but their, I guess their leadership being through um, the structure of judges. So judges um, weren't unlike kings. Um, they were unlike kings, chosen. They weren't chosen um, because of a family line or because they were elite. Um, judges were based from kind of this base of service rather than a base of power in their position. They didn't have elaborate courts. Um, it was a gender-inclusive role, so both male and female were qualified to stand as judges. Um, they were leaders. They lived in encampments. They gathered armies of volunteers. And when there were civil or criminal disputes, the judges followed God's law to bring about justice in the land. So it was, it was a bit of a different structure to the kingship structure. So they governed, um, they led armies at times when needed, they helped sort out disputes and make big decisions um, with and for the people. Um, they weren't pomp and ceremony um, or riches and royalty, they were quite almost like a gritty ground level um, governance in a servant leader type position. However, and not all the judges were perfect, you know, like any humans in any position, some kind of served and, and helped better than others, but in time, Israel began to look around at the other nations around them, and all the other nations had kings. Um, the other nations exhibited power. They had the sense of security and might that the Israelites started to, you know, want for their own, um, their own governance. And so they wanted to be like other nations and have a king. Um, in 1 Samuel 8 verse 19 to 20, they say, we want a king over us. Then we will be like the other nations. We want a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight 
our battles. But the thing is, God had set them up and called them apart to be a kind of a peculiar people, a people who weren't like the other nations, who had a different way, a different structure, a different um, set of, of rules in which they lived their lives. They weren't supposed to be like other nations. But the arrangement of this covenant relationship with God and then um, the judges kind of to help govern the earthly matters wasn't enough for them. Israel wanted an earthly king so that they could be like the kingdoms around them, um, whose leaders exhibit, exhibited an image of magnificence, of significance, of ceremony and style. And Israel wanted a king, this kind of figurehead, who could be a showpiece for them and that power and that grandeur and that might. And through Samuel, the Lord did warn the Israelites what may come at a high price of having a king. You know, looking around the other nations, you know, the other kings had drafted their sons to plant the fields um, to make rich their own ambitions, that the daughters had been put as labourers in the king's um, kitchens for parties, and that the other kings around um, would often have big tax schemes in place to be able to support, you know, their lifestyle and friends and everything that came with the kingship. But Israel wanted... A king. And so even though the whole premise of a king was kind of against this setup and these values and these teachings of God, they wanted to go there. And her kings had elaborate courts to hang out in luxury with the other Near Eastern um, rulers. And so they had to host these um, big parties and these fancy palaces and have a lot of servants. Kings tended to have harem. They tended to have prestigious living quarters, many advisors. And like I said, many, um, you know, it was just part of the package that there had to be these elaborate tax schemes and other ways of raising money. So Israel wanted this king that the world could admire rather than a king that was unseen who could only be known by faith. You know, the short version of the story, if we skip to the end, is it didn't end well. Yes, there were some kings who built a united kingdom, but ultimately most ruled over a divided people and people living in two different kingdoms. The thing is, if we're honest, if I'm honest, I can see at times that I can really see myself in that story of Israel. You know, this story is heavily political, but it's also a story that shows us the trickiness of navigating the desires of the human heart. You know, and as Christ followers, we live in this big, wide world. We look around, and there's all sorts of kings and kingdoms that are holding power. Sure, there's like literal monarchs, but that's not so much what I'm talking about. There's all sorts of kings and kingdoms that are ruling and reigning, and we can look at and kind of work out and compare and think to ourselves, you know, I want that kind of king and kingdom. There are narratives and stories that point towards wealth, power and might being the way to live successfully in our world. And there are narratives and stories that tell us other ingredients critical for admiration, for accomplishment and for triumph. Imagine yourself as Israel, but in today's context, looking around at how the other nations, and when I say nations, I not so mean actual countries, but groups of people, um, tribes, um, groups of, of um, you know, people associated in a, in a certain way, are living, conducting themselves, giving example and exerting dominance. What are the symbols of power, security, and might that we see as kings and kingdoms in our world? What do we see on display that we often feel that pull to be a part of? I feel like it's an everyday occurrence, that sense of striving, that sense of aspiration, those things that we want to have as our own. 
that if we could only have X, Y, Z, well, then we'd feel like we would fit in better, that we would be winning in the eyes of the world. It might be influencers, celebrities, sports folk, business leaders, amazing people who are doing things in their career, and we look around and we see and hunger for a taste of their power, intelligence, influence, and prestige. What perceived greatness or aspirations, whether it be material or kudos-wise, that we look to and hunger for? You know, not all of it is bad, and that's what's so tricky about this whole situation. So many of these areas can be blurred, you know, because we absolutely should be um, working towards a life that has impact, that has significance, that's building something that lasts, you know, that has influence. We should aspire to grow, to develop, to thrive and influence this world 100%. But let's be honest. If I'm honest with myself, at times we are like Israel. Rather than living out our calling as a peculiar people in this big wide world with an alternative and upside down way of viewing power, we can sometimes still aspire to and, and wish for and, and desire that power, that structure that other nations have. We want a king. Even though the whole premise of a king was against the values and teachings of God. You know, we can want to be seen and validated by a king the world can admire, just like Israel, rather than the unseen king who can only be known by faith. And again, this isn't a sermon of condemnation or, you know, I don't want you to send you home and, you know, you're beating yourself up because um, it's not a terrible part of our life to feel this way. It's simply acknowledging the humanness of who we are, it's simply an honest acknowledgement of our human condition and tendencies. You know, we've been given the story of Israel to superimpose on our own story. And with this, observe ourselves and make conscious choices accordingly. And what a gift that is to be, have these stories to reflect on and see ourselves on and be able to make choices accordingly. And we have this beautiful gift of the liturgical calendar that highlights and elevates and brings to light different things at different times for, our, for us to consider and reflect on and, um, and kind of give that focus to at different times of the year. So as on Christ as King Sunday, this is a day to remind us that as human beings, we will always have a choice about how to live our lives and where to place our loyalty and how far to really embed this peculiar way of living. And to remember that as Christians, we're called to a different way, a different kingdom and a different king. I'm going to read from Colossians 11, which we've heard a few times over the last past um, couple of weeks. Colossians 11, verse 15 to 20. And the message, it titles this paragraph, Christ holds it all together. We look at the sun and we see the God who cannot be seen. We look at the sun and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so expansive that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people 
and things, animals and atoms get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. You know, this is not a flagellation, this is an invitation. This is not a condemnation, it's a welcome. You know, turning towards the Christ is King way rather than adapting the structures, the goals and the aspirations of other nations is not this punishment where we lose out and miss out and, and it's, you know, all the treats and fun are off the table. It's an invitation instead to this beautiful and wholesome way of life that is sustainable, that is open to everyone, that is accessible to all. You know, when we're talking about this unseen king, known by faith, he is in fact not entirely invisible. You know, we've been walking through the parables these um, past few months, and that acknowledges the visibility of this kingdom. Jesus coming to earth in flesh. Jesus is what God has to say. Jesus shows us what the kingdom is like. The parables show us, give light, give our brain these metaphors and these stories to work with to show us what the kingdom of God is like. They show us what this unseen kingdom and this unseen king is like in the flesh. It's just, though, not as loud at times as these competing kings and kingdoms in our everyday lives, but it is not entirely invisible. You know, in stepping into our lives in a way where Christ is king, we step into a purpose found in Christ. We step into this peculiar but righteous way of ruling and living. We're not led by the sword of might and power, ranked and trapped by our own strength and talent, but led and found in this expansive, spacious kingdom where each can find their proper place, where all can be fixed and fit together, starting now in part and then in full in the age to come. You know, the king and kingdom is still calling us, and it calls us to a better way rather than a power-led way, into greener pastures rather than golden and grand palaces. Give me a green pasture to lie down in any day rather than a grand and golden palace, into a place of salvation and healing and getting fixed and put together rather into a place of self-preservation and self-elevation and being pulled apart into a community, rather than being an oppressive servant to an impossible master, into a Christ-centered purpose, rather than a self-indulgent aspiration, into the safe and expansive growth place that's towards God, towards others, towards this beautiful relationship with ourself, and towards creation, rather than this conditional, constantly measured state that ultimately pushes us away from peace and being found content. And so, in thinking on Christ is King Sunday, it is the last day of the liturgical year. So next week is the new year. So today is the New Year's Eve of the, new liturg of the liturgical calendar. Next week we start afresh with the hope of Advent. You know, New Year's Eve is a time where we take stock. It's a time where we look at where we have come over the year before. You know, when I look at my um, life and existence and interaction over the past year, I see some ways where I really was able to grow into a fuller understanding of Christ, what Christ is King looks like in my life and what the kingdom of God looks like, and that makes me glad. But I also see all sorts of things that I've done and left undone, beliefs about myself, about others, and what my future needs to look like that are contrary, and they're driven by the success criteria of a different King 
and a different kingdom. You know, things I've desired that are all uh, based on what other nations, their kings and kingdoms, have put as most important. And I see areas where I haven't served my own king and kingdom as well. And so on this New Year's Eve of the liturgical year, I want to ask myself and I want to ask you two questions. And we're going to have a few moments to reflect. You know, when you think about Christ as king, the king in the kingdom of the world, the king in the kingdom of Christ, what does it mean for you to live in a way that reflects that? And I'd love for you to answer two questions. So one, when you look over the last liturgical year, you know, what can you identify, whether it be maybe a state of your heart, an action, an inaction, a belief, a particular attachment to maybe like a goal or an aspiration that you know is just slightly out of alignment with this king and kingdom that we're called to be a part of? What is one thing that you would like to choose to leave behind in that year? So what's one thing that you'd like to choose to leave behind? And what is one thing that you would like to bring forward into this new liturgical year? It could be a new belief, a new affirmation, new understanding. There may be a specific action that you know as a part of living a part of this king kingdom that you need to do, or perhaps one that you need to not do. It may be holding a specific word as your focus or in meditation into this new year. It's not a prescriptive answer. Now, I know that for a lot of us, um, you know, New Year's Eve's um, and New Year's, you know, the New Year is an exciting time to set like a million goals. And I want you to resist that today. <laughs> I don't want you to set like a million things that you're going to do that are going to live towards this king. And I'd love for you to just identify in your heart and in your mind one thing that you're going to choose to leave behind. I'm not going to live into that way or into that action or into that belief anymore. And what's one thing that I want to carry forward that puts Christ as king? And like I said, it could be an action. It could be something quite physical or material. It could just be simply a meditation and a refocus and a realigning of something in your life. So Ben's going to put on just some um, chill music with not many words. And we're just going to take a few minutes to sit, think those through. You're welcome to do that as you please. If it's not your cup of tea... Have a little daydream. <laughs> There's no pressure here, but we're going to just take a few minutes right now to think of what is one thing you'd love to leave behind and one thing you'd love to carry forward. God, we're thankful for times like this to be able to just gently reflect. We thank you that as we reflect on some of the things that are misaligned with the way of Christ, with the kingdom of Christ, with the kingship of Christ, that there's no condemnation, there's no harsh judgment, but there's grace for us to find and seek forgiveness there. And we choose to leave a few things behind to not repeat those same behaviours, to not hold those same beliefs, to not subscribe to some of those narratives. And instead, we choose one thing to carry forward into the new year that has openness, that is possibility, that has peace, that is strength, that is reinforcing this peculiar but ultimately freeing narrative, this peculiar kingdom, this upside down way of living that you have shown us through Jesus, that you have illustrated to us through the parables, that you have shown us what kind of king you are through the life of Jesus. And Lord, I just acknowledge 
that, you know, for some people here, there's a lot going on and the whole notion that the Prince of Peace is also the King of Kings is just such a powerful and timely thing to know. And so, Lord, we just pray that your spirit would hold that in our hearts as we go forward into our week, into our day, as we carry things in our head and our heart, that the Prince of Peace is also the King of Kings. We're so grateful. Thank you for our time together today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Cool. That's us, guys. Feels a little bit zen, doesn't it? That was nice music. So um, may you hold that sense of Prince of Peace being King of Kings as you go forward into the many faceted areas of your life today. But um, I think we can probably give kids a few more minutes. Eh? Yeah, so just um, don't feel like you have to rush off and find your little people. Just take a few minutes to chill, to chat, to regroup, and then um, we can get our kids and have some morning tea and carry on with the morning. Grace and peace.